I will be reading 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. You can find that on page 308 in the Pew Bible. Again, 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elijah, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elijah said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit for, on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet if, you, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they, went, as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of, uh, horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up, went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elijah saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and his horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took, a, took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. On January 1st of this year, the congregation here in Katy had 11 elders. On June 1st of this year, the congregation here at Katy had eight elders. I subscribe to the position that every time an elder either is added to the eldership or if a man leaves the eldership, we have a new eldership. I believe biblically that's true, that every time we have a, a different group that's overseeing the flock here, we have, we have a different eldership. That doesn't mean that they're going a different direction doctrinally or that there are anything, uh, any things that we ought to be concerned about from that perspective. But it's different. The dynamics when they sit around a table and talk about things concerning the church here, the dynamics are a little bit different. The personalities are a little bit different. It's a transition. And the men that have left this year, Tom Gilson and Bill Smithson and Butch Wallace all left for personal reasons, for very good reasons, I believe. And yet at the same time, I have a hard time because the elders are gracious enough to invite Jordan and KJ and Daniel and myself to attend the elders meetings. They're very gracious in letting us do that. And I miss those men. I miss them serving as elders. I miss them uh, giving their perspective and their wisdom and their counsel. You know, I was reflecting the other day, I've been here at Katy for nine years and there were six elders that, that were overseeing the church here when I was hired. And there are only two that are left, it's current elders, just Woodrow and Larry Russell. Love all those men. All those men do an exceptional job of listening to what God says and then striving to keep the church here working in a way that pleases God. And yet, and yet, having said all these things, it's a time of transition. It's a time in which one set of servants is saying, we're no longer able, we're no longer uh, going to be, for in Butch's case, living here and we're going to move on to another place because of job transfer or because of health reasons, we're no longer able to serve. And yet at the same time, the work of God goes on. And my question, I, by the way, I could write a book about those three men and what they've added to the eldership. I could write even more than a book about Joe Simmons and, and the way he worked as an elder uh, years ago in, in my early days here in Katy. I'm not here to talk about all those things tonight. You can ask me later. I'll talk about those things, be happy to. Wonderful men, hold them in the highest esteem. What I am here to do tonight is this, to ask the question, does God's word have anything to say about this period in this church's history? 
Does God's word have any advice for us? Does it have any counsel for us? Does it have any wisdom for us? Does God say anything about what happens to congregations when they go through times of transition? And it's not always just elders. Sometimes it's ministers that are leaving or arriving. What's happening? And what does God say to us? Open your Bibles if you haven't already done so to 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. We're going to look this evening at the account of Elijah being taken into heaven. Interesting thing. Elijah never died. It was a blessing that God gave to him that he never had to experience death. He's one of two men that we know about in the Bible that never tasted death. Elijah and, anybody remember the other one? Enoch, back in Genesis chapter 5, Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. And the Hebrews writer tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, Enoch was taken by God. He did not see death. So Elijah and Enoch, two men that did not taste death. It's a time of transition. It's a seismic shift in Israel's history because Elijah stood as a giant of faith among the people of God at a time when they really needed somebody who believed in God and wanted to stand for what was right. Elijah was a beacon. He was somebody that was a stalwart. He was somebody that the faithful people in Israel really depended on. And so as you look at the early times of the chapter here, and by the way, this is not the only time that there have been transitions in the scriptures. Moses changed his leadership to Joshua when he died. Again, David, Solomon, John the baptizer proclaimed Jesus, but then Elijah and Elisha. And as you look at the chapter here in 2 Kings chapter 2, you'll notice that on this particular day, Elijah and Elisha, Elisha is his protege, they are journeying together. And everywhere they go, the sons of the prophets, these are the men who are faithful to Jehovah. They're faithful to the God of Israel. The sons of the prophets, they've been receiving messages from God and they keep saying to Elisha, your master is going to be taken away today. And so the, the text is setting you up and saying, there's gonna be a transition. And Elisha says, yes, I know, be quiet. Stop talking about this, be quiet. And so Elijah and Elisha reach the Jordan River and Elijah, the Bible says, takes off his cloak in verses eight and nine and he, he strikes the water with his cloak and the waters part and they across. And then the Bible says, while they're talking, Elijah says to Elisha, what would you request of me? I'm about to depart, what would you want? And Elisha says in verses nine, 10 and 11, well, I want a double portion of your spirit, Elijah. And what that means is not that he wanted, you know, to be twice as good as Elijah. That's not what he's saying. A double portion is an inheritance. You see, in the Old Testament, when, when someone left, when someone died, a father, the oldest, the firstborn son got a double portion of the inheritance. That was the law. And so all Elisha is saying is, I just want the firstborn's inheritance of whatever you can give to me, Elijah, whatever you can leave for me. And Elijah says, well, if you see me when I depart, then it will be yours. And suddenly there's chariots of fire and horses of fire. And the Bible says Elijah is taken by a whirlwind up into heaven. And the scripture says that the mantle, the cloak of Elijah, it remains with Elisha. And now Elisha goes back across the Jordan River and he is going to be the one who stands at Elijah's place. There's a transition taking place. It's hard to overstate what Elijah represented to Israel. Elijah was widely considered to be the greatest of the prophets. As a matter of fact, when people ask, you know, who is Jesus? And Jesus said, who do men say that I am? One of the first answers they gave was, some say that you're Elijah because they thought so highly of him. 
Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. So Elijah was just, he was in the upper echelon of people's minds. And now here comes Elisha, the servant of Elijah, back across the river. Here comes Elisha and the sons of the prophets see him and they're going to have conversations together. Much has been lost with Elijah departing. Elijah's courage, Elijah's faith, Elijah's boldness, Elijah's willingness to tell the truth, Elijah's willingness to stand before kings and not flinch, Elijah's challenge to the people of Israel at Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18, how long will you falter between two opinions? Elijah was a man who was used mightily by God and now God has taken him. The question that needs to be asked in 2 Kings chapter 2 is, what's left? What's left behind when Elijah leaves? What's left behind when elders have to step aside? What's left behind when preachers resign? What's left behind when deacons move to other areas or move away and their roles are left unfulfilled? What's left behind in the empty hole where this person once filled, what's left? Four things as you look at 2 Kings chapter 2, are left behind and they are worth giving our attention to tonight. Number one, what's left? When Elijah departs, the first thing that's left is God's power. Verses 7 through 15, the persistence of God's power. Even though Elijah's gone, the power that worked through Elijah yet remains. The cloak is how you know this is true. Elijah in verses 7 and 8 takes that cloak, as we said, and he strikes the Jordan River and the waters part. You see that? And then when Elisha takes that same cloak and he brings it to the waters of the Jordan, guess what he does? Verses 14 and 15, he strikes the water just as Elijah had, and notice the waters part. Does that mean that Elisha had the special formula? It's all about the power of God. It has nothing to do with the servant himself. It's all about the God that we serve. He's the one that's powerful. He's the one that matters. And there are some lessons that we take just from that principle alone. The servants of God are not our saviors. No preacher, no elder, no teacher of God's word is going to be your savior. We already have a savior. John the Baptist said it right in John 1 verse 20. He said, I am not the Christ. I'm not here to save you. I'm not here to save your soul. I am not the Christ. And preachers and elders and everyone who would serve God needs to be able to say the same thing. I'm nobody's savior. I am merely a servant of God. And if the power of God works through me by his will, by his providence, so be it. But servants are not our saviors. Secondly, servants are mere vessels. We are used in mighty ways by God. And yet, We're just vessels. We're just containers. That's what Elijah would say about his own ministry, about his own life. I was just a vessel. I was just the man that God chose and God used. And yet I just was a humble servant of a mighty God, a little servant of a big God. That's the way we ought to think of ourselves. And thirdly, servants are numerous and varied. One of the things you learn as you read scripture is that those who serve God, they come in all shapes and sizes. They come from all walks of life, from all educational backgrounds, and God takes people from all these diverse walks of life and he brings them together in the church, which is the body of Christ, and he allows us to serve and to help 
Servants of God are numerous and varied. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 5, there's one body with many members. So what's left behind when Elijah leaves? God's power. Second, as you look at this passage, what's left behind when Elijah departs? God's wisdom. The sons of the prophets, when they see Elisha come back across the Jordan River in verses 15 and 16, the sons of the prophets say, Elijah left, huh? He was carried up into heaven by a whirlwind, huh? That's, that's interesting. We're not sure we believe you, Elisha. We want to go look for him. What if God, what if God just took him away from your side and then put him on a mountaintop somewhere? They're thinking that way. You know, we, we probably ought to go look and, and see if we can find Elijah. And Elisha says, don't go. Elisha knows that they're not going to find Elijah. He's got wisdom about him. And yet they keep on persisting, keep on persisting. So finally, Elisha says, you guys have to see, fine, go, check it out, see what you can find. The scripture says they depart for a number of days. And when they finally come back, Elisha says, I told you so. I told you you weren't going to find him. Elijah was a man of wisdom. Elijah knew because he trusted God, because he was faithful to God's word, Elijah knew what Israel ought to do. He knew when to do things. He knew how to do things. You know, when you think about wisdom, wisdom is the ability to see what's best and then to do what's best. And Elijah had that wisdom about him. And it's obvious very early to the sons of the prophets and to all of Israel that Elisha has that same kind of wisdom. Wisdom, brothers and sisters and friends, does not die, does not depart with wise men. And the reason why that's true is because wisdom is always, always, always linked with God's word. Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away, Jesus says. Psalm 119, verse 11, KJ preached about this last week. Your word I have hidden my heart that I might not sin against you. There is wisdom in the word of God and not just in knowing what it says, but in using it as an insight for how we ought to live. Wisdom does not die with wise men. We ought to be thankful to God that even though God's servants, they come and go, that God's power and his wisdom yet remain with his people, don't they? Third, what remains when Elijah departs? God's grace, look at verses 19 through 22. This is an interesting account, an interesting episode. Beginning in verse 19, the scripture says, Now the men of the city said to Elisha, behold, the situation of our city is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad, the land is unfruitful. And so Elisha says, verse 20, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. And they brought it to him. And then he went to the spring of water and threw the salt in it and said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. And the water has been healed to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. There's water, and some way, somehow, the water is bad in this place, in Jericho, where they are. There's a lot of background there that we're not going to get into this evening. A lot of history with Jericho, things that have been cursed and things that have been pronounced about it. But here's the point. Something is wrong in Jericho, and they come to the man of God. They come to the right place, and they say, is there any grace? Is there any hope for us? Is there anything that God is willing to do? And Elisha, the man of God, heals the water. 
God's grace doesn't leave God's people just because servants come and go. God always is willing to help those who seek him. You know, it is a tragedy that people live in this life and they are heartbroken and they are, they are broken in so many ways and they never, never, never want to come to God to seek his healing, to seek his counsel, to seek his wisdom, to seek most of all his grace. They never want to do those things. God says, come unto me. I heal, I help, I bless. He is a God who is consistently gracious. And not only that, but he uses servants like Elisha as instruments of his grace. I'll tell you something. I have the utmost confidence in our present eldership. I believe that they are good men. They are godly men. They are men who know the book. They are men who want sincerely to love the Lord and to love the Lord's word and to love the Lord's people. That's where their heart is. That's what they want. And if they have that heart and they had that desire, God will use the men who serve as elders here as instruments of his grace. And God will use you that way too if you'll have that kind of heart. I love God. I love God's people and I love God's word. And I want to be a blessing to those around me. God consistently uses his servants and God speaks gracious words. I have healed the waters. God's word is the word of his grace. As we talked about this morning in Acts 20, verse 32, God finds ways to bless our lives when we listen to what he says. Servants of God come and go, but God's grace abides with his people still. And then fourth this evening, what's remaining when Elijah departs? God's judgment really curious episode. I know our teenagers always enjoy this. Listen to what happens in verse 23. Sorry, not to pick on y'all teenagers, but you do. Verse 23, he went up from there to Bethel. And while he was going up on the way with some boys, uh, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at Elisha. And they said, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. And he turned around and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And the two she bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. And from there he went on to Mount Carmel. And from there he returned to Samaria. What's going on here? These young men, these, the Bible says here, the ESV, it calls them small boys. They are intentionally antagonizing Elisha because he is a servant of God. They, for whatever reason, maybe they come from families that just don't have any regard for God, whatever the case may be. But these young men think it's going to be funny when the man of God comes to town to make fun of him, to mock him. And this idea of saying, go up, you bald head. Bald head really was an insult. It was, it was what they were trying to do. And when they said, go up, it was almost like they were saying, just keep on going through town. Don't stop here. We don't want you here. Keep on going. Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. And so Elisha, in the name of the Lord, pronounces judgment upon these boys. It's odd. It's strange. And yet the lesson that's being given here is when God ordains a man to be his servant, when God ordains a man like Elisha to be his prophet, you be careful how you respect and how you treat that man. That's the message. You be careful the, the, the way you talk about him and the way you treat him. And you be careful if you're going to mock him, you be careful to make sure 
that your mockery is not disrespectful and ungodly. This passage talks about and teaches us reverence for God. The early church learned that with Ananias and Sapphira. They came and they lied to the Holy Spirit, showed a lack of respect for God. They lied to God. They lied to the brethren. The Bible says they were struck dead. God's judgment still abides on the church. This passage teaches respect for God's leaders. 1 Peter 5 verse 5 tells those of us who are younger to submit to our elders. Tells us to have the utmost respect for them. It tells us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God for he will exalt us in due time. Ephesians 5 verse, 1 Peter 5 verse 6. The scripture tells us that this is God's will for our lives. And the Bible also says that we ought to have a high regard for God's words. All elders need to know that they have been put in their place, they've been put in their position by God himself. And all the church needs to remember that when we talk about those who serve as elders and when we talk about how we relate to them and how we love them and wanna work with them, we need to be careful about how we treat them. That's what this passage deals with. When Elijah leaves, Some people in Israel probably thought, well, what are we going to do now? We're never going to have anybody like Elijah again. We're never going to have a leader quite like him again. And in one sense, that's true. But in another sense, what really was important is the fact that God's power and God's grace and God's wisdom and God's judgment yet remained with his people. And those who were willing to serve God like Elisha and the sons of the prophets, they continued to display those things among the people of God. And the exact same lesson is true for the church in every generation. Preachers come and go, elders come and go, deacons come and go, you and I will come and go. But it's the power and the wisdom and the justice and the, and the grace of God that abides. How thankful we ought to be to a God who is transcendent, to a God who provides, to a God who loves the church even more than you and I ever will. Thanks so much for listening this evening. If you need to respond to heaven's invitation tonight, that opportunity is available to you. Repent and be baptized. That's how you become a Christian. If you need to respond in that way or you'd like to respond and ask for prayers, whatever you need, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing. Oh, heart bowed down with sorrow, oh, eyes 